This is the Parenting for Faith podcast from the Bible Reading Fellowship. Visit parentingforfaith.org for free online videos and resources and an eight-session course all about Parenting for Faith. You can also sign up for news, subscribe to this podcast, and find out about events and training in your area. Welcome to the Parenting for Faith podcast. My name is Rachel Turner, and this week we are taking on a big question. How do you build a healthy view of God's wrath? Because we talk about unwinding wrong views of God, and yet there's this wrath of God thing sitting there. How do we deal with that? We're going to be answering a follow-up question uh, from a couple of episodes ago about uh, kids who believe that God doesn't exist and how do we help with that. So we'll do a follow-up question from our podcast from there. And we're going to be looking at how do you serve in church, and particularly in children's groups, as a parent. A lot of us are on the kids' rota for the children's ministry. And how do you successfully navigate that whole, I'm a parent, but also I'm trying to lead, but I'm also my kids trying to touch me all the time, like all of that. We're going to look at that today. But first, we have a very exciting thing. for. Well, it's exciting for me. My husband, his name is Mark, and uh, he is super private and kind of shy. And so I just cannot bear anything. So he told me at the beginning of this project that there's no way he's going on video. There's no way he's going to be recorded on anything. He just wants to stay invisible in the background, which is totally fine. If you have seen the Parenting for Faith course, you will notice there is an episode where I am cuddling with my husband. And uh, in order to get that footage, we had to we had to trick him and pretend that he wasn't filming. And Stephen, the, the, the director, had to like keep a camera on his lap and like... <laughs> and pretended to not be filming so that he could capture uh, spontaneous stuff with me and my husband so we could use it because Mark just froze. So uh, this is, he's he's very private and uh, it was really late at night and I was doing what I normally do, which is sort of like, oh, I don't know what I'm doing tomorrow and ah, I'm wrestling with this idea. And I was talking to Mark about it. It was like 1130 at night and I was talking to him about uh, this wrath of God segment that I was wanting to do. My brain was just not doing it well. And he he launched into this response. And I was like, oh, I really want to record this. And so I stopped him like a sentence and a half into what he was saying. And I forced him into my office. And I recorded a conversation with him um, without me knowing what he was going to say. But he seemed passionate about it. So I, so I think it was late. And so I just got the unedited uh, version of what he was saying, which I found really helpful and very interesting. You may 100% disagree with him. That is okay. But I think the conversation that we ended up having was a really useful way in to begin to talk about um, why it's important uh, to talk about God's wrath with kids and um, and maybe how we can begin to approach it. Uh, my husband, Mark, uh, you probably know nothing about him. He uh, has spent the last 20 years in uh, children's, was it 20 years, 15 years at least, in uh, children's education. He's worked with children with additional and behavioral needs. He is a scout leader. He is a gymnastics coach. He uh, runs children's ministry on a Sunday morning in a church, and uh, he's generally someone who holds me together. So here is a really late night conversation between me and my husband, Mark, about the wrath of God and why it's important. So ask me the question, ask, what did you say to bring up the conversation <laughs> okay. in the first place? So I was saying to you that I have to do this podcast thing on how do you explain Roth to kids and uh, my brain is blank. 
Uh, and then you were talking about reading to Kenneth. No. No, 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 no. That is not what you were saying. You were talking about how some people think that you shouldn't talk about wrath at all with people. Yes, 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 yes. And it's, you have to talk about wrath with your kids. You you have to, because if you want to actually read your Bible to the kids, you have to, because it's it's in the Old Testament, it's, it's in Kings, you can't talk about kings without wrath of God, you can't, you can't read Judges without the wrath of God, you can't, you can't go into um, any of the prophets, any of the prophets, you can't what? read any of the prophets to your kids without the wrath of God, even Romans, I was reading Romans to Caleb last night, opening up chapter 1, the wrath of God! What? I was surprised, but anyway. <laughs> but anyway, you have to. But you just, you've just got to go slower and explain it. Okay, wait, wait. How do you explain? How do you explain the wrath of God? Okay, it's about getting to know somebody. I know somebody when I know what makes them happy, and I know what makes them angry, and and. What makes them angry is a, such an important part of knowing God. If you don't know what makes God angry, and quite how angry, and what does he do with that anger, and how does he um, respond to those things that make him angry, that then you can't know God. You can't know who he is or his personality. If you miss that entire side of God, then you miss out on what he's about that you know that that's it's so essential well how do you talk about it in a way that doesn't then make a kid think that god is just angry all like that like that anger you're saying a third of the bible is about his anger how does that not become the angry god that god's just generally grumpy all the time Okay, first thing is I never tell the stories from any storybook Bible or any, um, all the words Bible straight up. I, I like you don't read the Bible word for word. Or yeah, no, I do read the word Bible word for word, but I will stop and I'll pause and we'll go back over something that didn't make sense to me or him, and we'll we'll talk about it. Say, that's just weird. I don't understand that. Or um, that word is quite, sometimes we'll talk about a word, or sometimes we'll talk about the concept that's just laid out and go, this is really hard, but God, God here, he loves us so much, and he hates the bad things, and, and we can talk about the Old Testament, New Testament thing, the, the, the idea that this, is, this was before Jesus came to save people, and God was trying, and, and God, um, needed his people to live right and um and talk about the way people the options people had back then because they did not have salvation or forgiveness through jesus and adding in to any storybook bible or any word for word bible is just pausing and going how what is god doing here what is god feeling thinking because we know that because we have in our heads the rest of the bible do you differentiate with the wrath stuff between God being angry at people and God being angry at their choices? Sometimes. But not all the time? Not all the time, because sometimes he's angry at people. 
<laughs> it's interesting because I, I just think there's an instinct in parents who really don't want to have their kids have an angry view of God to duck all of that. You know what I mean? And and the concept of God being angry at you, I think parents want to avoid. But I guess in relationships, there's times where you get angry at people. Like if. Yeah. And that some people are stupid and they get the consequences for their decisions. <laughs> Honey! <laughs> that's an important thing for, that every... That's an intrinsic thing that kids understand anyway. Yeah. And if we gloss over that, then then they know we're just glossing. Are people stupid or they just make bad decisions? Both. Honey! But if people are stupid, then they have no alternative if people are stupid oh okay do you know what okay, i mean like okay. so to me when you say people are stupid then what i hear is oh, yeah, people yeah. have no choice but to make those decisions and therefore they technically don't have free will you know okay. what i mean okay yeah so people yes people screw up people make bad bad decisions people um do stupid things because they want to and they deserve the consequences of their actions kids in string intrinsically understand that that's really interesting. Because I think when we talk about getting a healthy view of God, we talk about getting all the different parts, like the justice of God and the peace of God and the grace of God and all that stuff. And I think most of us just don't know how to cope with the wrath stuff. So we miss out. And if we miss out, you're saying we actually are missing out on an important aspect of knowing God, not yeah. just of his character. Can, can you imagine being friends with someone who never got angry? I never get angry. Lucy! What did you imagine being friends with someone who never got angry? If you if if they never got angry, then you would be doubting them all the time. You would wonder what they're thinking on the inside and what they're hiding from you. Mm. Because no one is like that. Well, but anger anger is something that's really hard to understand because sometimes anger is just a symptom of fear and pain which isn't why god is angry god is a righteous anger yeah versus the sort of out of insecurity anger yeah and i think that's one of the fears that people have about talking about wrath is if they talk about wrath as anger then it sounds like god is chaotic and emotional rather than just in his anger. Kids seek out that part of people's character because they will all press their parents' buttons. They will push the boundaries of their teachers. They'll push the boundaries of their scout leaders or their, you know, their their church group leaders. They'll, they'll push the boundaries of people because they want to see what boundary makes that person more angry. What is, and it's not just about learning where their fences are for themselves and what's the boundaries acceptable in life. No, that oftentimes I think they're trying to understand the person at the front. That's interesting. I don't think I, I've ever thought about it like that. Yeah, I think I think they're trying to understand the person and what makes that person angry. Now I feel like I want to test you. <laughs> what makes me angry? <laughs> oh! <laughs> yeah, it's, it's different knowing it than articulating it. <laughs> So there you go. 
uh, that may have been helpful. You may have totally disagreed, but whatever you feel about it, hopefully that gives you a jumping off point to uh, turn to somebody you know and be like, what do you think about this? And this is what I think about it. And maybe begin to uh, wrap your brain around how you want to describe the wrath of God to children and uh, and why it's important uh, to you and the children that you particularly have. This week's question is from a listener who wrote in through the email. If you uh, want to ask a question, please feel free to contact us through the website or through email, whatever you want. We'd love to hear from you. Uh, This was about the podcast that we did a couple of weeks ago, I think, about what to do if a teenager says that they think that God exists, that their wrong view of God is actually that he doesn't exist. And uh, she wrote in saying that she's a longtime foster carer for a 15-year-old, and uh, he's really enjoyed being part of church is a community of people who has shown him love and care. Um, But she thinks that he falls into the category of not knowing how to have a relationship with God. And she wanted me to unpack that a bit more. Uh, She also wanted to mention that uh, he was drifting from church as less teenagers come and he becomes more independent. So she wanted some ideas that worked at home, not just were church-based. First of all, I just want to say, yay for all foster carers, particularly those of teenagers. Thank you so much. You are doing really essential work. And it's a really important question. What do you do when you have uh, a kid who, uh, particularly one who's uh, gone through foster care, uh, and with all of the background that entails, you know, what, what are ways that we can really help those who are struggling to consider that God exists and, and not really knowing how to have a relationship with him? So I have a couple of thoughts. Take of it what you will. Uh, the first thing is that I tend to expect, well, expect's a bad word. Uh, I tend to look for a similar relationship with God that children have with their peers. And so um, if you're if you're parenting a a child with a traumatized background, uh, their development of how to have relationships and what their peer relationships may look like may look different for other people. They uh, may have more questions. They may struggle in particular types of relationships. If a child comes from a, a neglect background, sometimes they uh, begin to think, why would other people want to hear about my life? Or uh, if they suffered abuse, sometimes they don't want to bother God or uh, others uh, with questions because they don't want to open up opportunities for other people to dump on them or use their words to hurt them. And so uh, really some of, some of it is looking at what, what are the, um, your foster child's skills in relationships? What are the, the strengths of how they have relationships with others? What are the things that they struggle with so that you can begin to see what are the holes in how they interact with others that you can begin to support and encourage. So if you look at how they have really good communication with their friend, you can then suggest them to chat to God in that way because you've seen how they chat really conveniently there. Or if they really struggle with physical affection, spending a lot of time saying God really likes to hug you might not be a helpful thing because that's not a feature of their relationship. And so so to begin to sort of take a cue and just watch what their relationships are like and what they're comfortable in relationship and what they struggle with so that you can begin to resource that aspect of their development developing of a relationship with God. That's just something to to uh, clock really for you so that you know how to help coach them in it. Uh, another thing that I find really helpful with children who, who aren't sure that God 
exists yet or and particularly because they're just not sure how to have a relationship with him is is what we call unwinding wrong views of God but it's the question of saying what what do they actually think about God because so often we want to rush children into having a relationship to connecting with God and if they're not 100% sure what they think of him, then trying to convince children to that he's real and that you can connect with him and have a relationship, that's a, that's a lot. Because this God that is in their head may be this uh, abusive, big, scary, terrifying uh, God. And we want them to have a, a balanced view of that he is loving and gentle and kind and patient and all of the the beauty of who God is. And so some of it is is could be spending time with your foster child um really exploring with them how they view it. And it doesn't have to be a sit down thing. In no way does it have to be a let's assess your view of God. But through asking open ended questions, just open ended questions, like, and sometimes I find it really easy. If you say, what do you think God likes? They like go, well, God's not real. If you say, if God was real, what kind of television do you think he would like? Then all of a sudden you can get out of them what you want. So rather than arguing about whether or not God is real, go for the hypotheticals and you can begin to get out of them what really is in their head about God. And as you ask those open-ended questions, you can begin to understand whether they're just distrustful of the concept of God, whether they're scared of a concept of God, whether they think that if there was a God, he'd be totally unpredictable and they don't want anything to do with him. So beginning to not only look at the their relationships and just say, how, how are they in their comfortability with building healthy relationships? And how can I help that? But also think, dig out what is what is their view of God? You know, not the right one, not the one that will please you, but what, what do they actually think? And that will give you a starting point as well to begin to do that. My third point is, is with all of that information you have, then then particularly when you have a, a, a teenager and an older teenager, it's hard to be like, let me teach you something because they're like, no, thank you. Uh, but you can create windows into your life and frame for them. And and so once you know what their view of God is, once you know what they're struggling with in relationship, then you can begin to create windows into your life of the really particular stuff that is helpful to you. So you can come at the end of the day, if you feel like they're they're struggling with just how God res would respond if they were angry. And you can then come home from the day and as you're talking over dinner, or as you're walking down the road, be like, oh, I just got so angry today. And I spent like a good 10 minutes just telling God I'm angry about this and I'm angry about this. And I don't know how I feel about that, God. And uh, it was a, it was a good day because sometimes I just need to yell at God, you know? Anyways, how was your day? And you can create a window into how you deal with anger so that rather than saying, you know, if you are angry, you can feel free to talk to God. If you think that's going to hit a, a roadblock to create a window into what it looks like for you and answer that question at the same time, that's that can begin to help. You can begin to ask each other tough questions. Sometimes particularly teenagers have these tough questions and they don't know whether or not they can ask it. And so you can just be sitting around watching television and, and be like, have you ever been disappointed in God and talk to your partner, talk to your friend? And they can be like, you know what? I have. And you can tell stories to each other and your teenager can completely look like they're not paying attention at all. But you are creating a space where the big questions are being asked and answered in authentic ways that they can begin to access those things. 
Uh, and the fourth thing I guess I would suggest, I know this is a long answer, is uh, drifting from church. You said that they were beginning to drift from church, but you also mentioned that they were really um, appreciated the community of people who loved them. And I would really encourage you to um, get them beginning to be seen and used by others by because so often teenagers drift because they're not needed or appreciated and they may be loved but they sort of need people to come around them and say I see this in you and I really need that in my life can you come help me with this and uh, there may be people that they're that your um the child uh, in your family may be connected with already and and so ask those people, you know what, can you invite them along? Can you ask them to join you on the welcome team or the worship band or whatever whatever you see your child's passions as to begin to connect them to other places so that they can feel purposeful and powerful in church, not just loved, because uh, both these things come alongside each other. So I hope that helps. You are doing great stuff. Trust your instincts and just know that any one of these may, may create that little opening door for you to be able to step into, to take the next step in the Parenting for Faith journey. You can do it. I believe in you. And uh, God has placed you in this child's life to do great and powerful things. And he's going with you and he is sitting on your words and he is whispering to you wisdom. And uh, he has wonderful, wonderful moments like this. So trust that he is with you as you speak and frame and help this kid know God. Okay, guys, this is the wild card section. And some of us work on children's ministry, whether we're on the road once a month or once a term. Some of us do children's ministry and parent at the same time. And you know what? Sometimes it's hard to have your kid in the group with you around. And so uh, someone very kindly wrote in a question and I answered this question. I just, we all thought, you know what? This will be really useful for everybody. But I know this episode's going long, so I'm going to try to talk fast. <laughs> so here are my five steps of things to think about and remember when you are serving on children's ministry and trying to wrangle your own children. One, uh, this is what I do. I've always done and I really advocate this for anyone who's ever on my team. Have someone else responsible for the discipline of your child in the group and for games. If your child is old enough to understand being part of a group, like they're over five, then I would suggest that you ask the other leader in the group to be the person who disciplines any behavior coming from your child as if you weren't there. This enables your kid to have the experience of being in a group like everyone else, and it also takes out that power dynamic between you and your child. And importantly for me, it takes out, it protects me really as a parent from either overreacting to my kid's behavior or underreacting. Uh, we can just blissfully ignore their bad behavior while supporting the other leader in making wise decisions. I also ask the other team leader um, or a child to choose people for upfront demonstrations or games. It means that my kid can get picked like everyone else rather than me calling them too much or, or more often, really, I call on them too little. The second one is be aware of connection issues. Often when we're on duty, this means that our mornings can be really stressful or preoccupied. Uh, so our children come into a Sunday morning already feeling stressed and disconnected from us. And it just might be worth considering what love languages they are and making sure we put in that little bit of connection points before the session so our children aren't already at the end of their love tether by the time church starts. If they are 
touch love language that may be hugging them, holding them during the worship or whispering encouragements or bringing them early and playing and laughing together with them if they are quality time love language um, as you set up rather than rushing around. That little bit of thought can go a really long way in helping our kids settle. Number three, explain the different rules, particularly with safeguarding boundaries, because it can be tough when our child wants to sit on our lap or talk to us throughout the entire session. It's okay to explain to them that it can make the other children sad because they miss their dads or moms, or that if they sit on their lap, then everyone will and you don't have enough space. Give your child alternatives rather than saying no. So I always try to show my kid where their yes is rather than where the no is. So saying like, oh, I love cuddling, but in here we're going to have to have a side glue. Come sit next to me and let's glue together. Hurrah! Or something like that. Rather than giving our kids lots of no's, we can say right now your yes is right here. Uh, Number four, talk about it with your child regularly. You know, you can ask them, what do you really like about me being in your group or why? Or what do you wish was different? Why? If you could change something about how you and I are connected while I'm in your group, what would it be? And then decide on an approach to experiment next time and try it. And then you can assess. Every child is different and that child is constantly changing. So it's okay if it's changing. It's just you're on the same team problem solving it together. And the last thing is to talk to your leader, really, about making sure that they're for you and your kid. You can say, I really need you to be for me and my kid. I need you to help me problem solve that. And so if you're in charge of the room, that's great. If you work with somebody else, you can go and talk to them and say, look, my kid's struggling a bit. And so I'd like to try some things and I really need your support in that. But uh, feel free to voice what you're concerned about and what you're wondering about, because it's a really, really important thing that if you're going to be investing in children's ministry, you and your children feel comfortable of what that looks like for you guys. And your question to start an interesting conversation today, well, it can be two. You can go down the wrath of God stuff and you can either introduce the subject by saying, what makes me angry? And or play a game between all of you guessing. But more importantly, it'd be great to have the question of what makes God angry and just start that conversation. Or if you're like mm, a bit too on topic, I'm not sure I want to do that. Feel free to ask this question. Does God care what grades you get? Why or why not? Just about school. Or if you really want to poke uh, in the Jesus direction, you can say, did Jesus get good grades? Did G- was Jesus at the top of his class? Ask what do they think Jesus' academic results were and have a really interesting conversation. Thank you for downloading the Parenting for Faith podcast. A new episode will be released next week. And why not look at parentingforfaith.org to watch the free eight-session course, to get in touch, or to find out about training and events near you.